And I read recently where a wife of a man who died, the man died, and, and as soon as uh, he died, she thought that, she, that they had plenty of money. So she gave the man a very nice, very nice funeral, Mia. You know, you, when you think about burying your husband, give him a nice funeral, all right? And, and so she thought, I'm gonna just going to got plenty of money. And so she had this fancy tombstone. Uh, made up, and it said just basically three words, rest in peace. However, when the estate was settled, she learned that her husband had wasted all their money on gambling and on bad investments. And this made her so angry that she took what little money that she had, and she added, she had another tombstone made with three more, with another, uh, well, she added three more words to it. And so the tombstone now read, Rest in peace until I come. And uh, there, so. Now, you don't need a tombstone to rest in peace. You know what you need? You only need Jesus Christ in your life to rest in peace. Now, the Hebrew word for rest is the word Shabbat. Now, there are no vowels. If you study the Hebrew language, it doesn't go from left to right like our English language. And even the Greek, it goes from right to left. And so uh, it's a very confusing language to me because I have a hard enough time looking from left to right, much less going from right to left. And the Hebrew language also has no vowels in it at all there in the language. So the word Shabbat is comprised of three Hebrew letters, which is Shin, S-H-I-N, and Bet, which is B-E-I-T, and then Tav, which is T-A-V. Those three letters, the Hebrew letters, spell the, uh, spell the word Shabbat. So in today's message, this morning's message, we're going to see what Jesus taught about the Sabbath day. Now, the word Sabbath is one of those most misunderstood topics in the Bible. There are some misunderstood topics in the Bible. If you look at different religions, you look at different faiths, you're going to see that there are, that we don't always agree, amen? That's why there's the Presbyterians, and that's why there's the Catholics, and that's why there's the Assembly of God. That's why there's the Baptists. And even as Baptists, we can't get along, so we have independent Baptists and, and all kinds of Baptists, Northern and Southern, and you name it, we've got it all there. And so... Uh, so the Sabbath is one of those mis- most misunderstood topics. And I'm usually asked two questions about this topic. I've been a, pre- a, a preacher for a long time. And uh, the two most, well, I would say the two top questions that I'm asked as a pastor about the Sabbath is why don't we obey the fourth commandment that says, Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. And the, the other question I'm asked a lot about is, when did we change the Sabbath from Saturday to Sunday? Those two questions I'm asked all the time. If you heard last week's message, you know we talked about the religious whiners, those who followed Jesus around criticizing everything he did and everything that he said. Now, there is a word for that. And the word we use today is legalism. Legalism, and that's what the Pharisees were practicing here, is characterized by looking for the shortcomings of others rather than in oneself. As legalists, that's what we do, right? 
We look at all the problems of everyone else, and we don't look at our own problems, and we begin to question about why you do this, and why you don't do this, and why you said this, and why you didn't say this. And legalism looks for what is wrong in someone's life in order to criticize them and to condemn them, rather than what is right in order to commend and encourage them. That's what we're told to do. We're told to commend them. We're told to encourage folks. But what do we do as legalists? We criticize, we condemn. The Pharisees had their own lists, including you don't properly honor and respect the Lord's Day. Here they are, griping once again, whining once again to Jesus about his disciples and about himself. And the Pharisees were saying that Jesus did not conduct himself properly. And on the Sabbath, and that was the Jewish day of worship there. And it was outlined in detail by the religious establishment through their traditions. Now, in the passage today, in chapter 2, verses 23 through 28, they whined about how Jesus didn't observe the Sabbath the way they thought it ought to be observed. Now... I want to ask you a question. We've already read verses 23 through 28. There, let me ask you a very personal question. You ready for it? Here it is. How much rest are you getting? Oh, I hear it already. Very little, preacher. Oh, man, you don't want to follow me around because I'm going to just wear you out following me around there. Let me ask you another question. Let me ask it different anyway. Do you ever get tired and stressed out? Okay? If you do, guess what? You're like most Americans. Americans are burning the candles at both ends. And then we wonder why we just collapse one day. Someone wrote, this is the age of the half-read page, a quick hash, and a mad dash. The bright nights with the nerves tight, the plane hop, in the brief stop, the lamp tan in a short span, the big shot in a soft spot, the brain strain and the heart pain, the cat naps till the spring snaps, and then the fun's done. Does that sound like Americans to you? Does that sound like you? I mean, you're just waiting for your springs to be sprung. And if that describes your your life, then you really need to discover the power of the Sabbath. And when you do, let me just say that you're going to enjoy the rest of your life. And I want to put capital, I want to put rest in all capital letters there. Number one on your outline that you don't have, but if you want to write one, it is Christians are not required to follow the Jewish Sabbath rules. Listen to that very carefully. Christians are not required to follow the Jewish Sabbath rules. There are some groups who follow Jesus, but they meet on Saturday and even follow the Old Testament dietary rules there, such as, I don't eat pork, I don't eat catfish. Some of them judges those of us who worship on Sunday. They say we're wrong and that Sunday worship is actually the mark of the beast there. There is nothing in the New Testament that even suggests that we should keep the Sabbath rules. I don't find anywhere in the New Testament 
where we are required as believers to follow the, the, the Sabbath rules there. This attitude, though, isn't new, that people say that we ought to follow the Sabbath rules there. Remember, there were people in the early church called Judaizers. And the Judaizers, they condemned or they demanded that the Gentiles had to become Jews before they could become Christians there. The men had to be circumcised. They had to refrain from eating certain foods. They had to obey the Sabbath and all of the Jewish festivals before they could become a believer. Now, if you've ever been confronted by someone who says that you should worship on Saturday and obey the dietary rules of the Old Testament, I want you to take out your Bibles, and I want you to write down in your Bible or in your notes, but I want you to take your Bible out to them, and I want you to tell them to turn to Colossians chapter 2 and begin with verse 14, and then I want you to skip verse 15 and then jump to verses 16 and 17. And let me read it. It's there on your screen there. He erased the certificate of debt with its obligations. Who is he? Jesus Christ, that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. That's, not, that's how I know that he is Jesus Christ. Therefore, what is it therefore? Don't let anyone judge you in regard to food and drink or in the matter of a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of what was to come The substance is Christ. The Old Testament regulations were only a shadow. The substance is Jesus Christ. The the shadow is only the, the regulations. Jesus claimed to be the Lord of the Sabbath. That means if he is the Lord of the Sabbath, he is the expert on the Sabbath. And here Jesus is saying there in that verse, you know, Here, look at it. It's only a shadow, but I am the substance that you need to live through. Now, Jesus didn't come to cancel the Old Testament law. What did he come to do? He came to fulfill the law. If you've ever been to a Bible class, you will hear that he didn't come to, to destroy the law. He came to fulfill the law there. Every single Old Testament law must now be examined under the lordship of Jesus Christ. If there was an Old Testament law, he didn't come to destroy it. He came to fulfill it. So look at it through the eyes and through the light that the Lordship of Jesus places on it. Now, people often struggle when they read passages from the book of Leviticus prescribing very strict dietary and personal hygienic laws. Now, I will tell you that there are some diets out there, that Old Testament diets. There's the Daniel diet. Uh, There's all kinds of diets that people are trying to follow today. And uh, there, when I'm asked why we as Baptists don't obey the Bible and follow the rules found in the Old Testament, there is a short answer to what I always say. And this is it. As New Testament Christians, we are no longer bound by the ceremonial and civil laws Israel lived under. We are no longer bound by that at all there. So, number two, I'm going to go quickly so I can get to the last point today. There's four points for you there, so leave enough room at the end to take some notes, all right? Number two, Sunday is not the Christian 
Sabbath. Sunday is not the Christian Sabbath. For the first 300 years of Christianity, Jesus' followers were arrested, persecuted, executed by the Roman Empire. They threw the Christians into the Colosseums where wild animals would chew them up and spit them out for blood sport there. There was a Roman emperor named Constantine who changed all of that. When Constantine came on board, his mother, Helena, or St. Helen, apparently became a follower of Jesus Christ, and she influenced her son to legalize Christianity. So seven years into his reign as a Roman emperor, Constantine issued an edict that Christianity was now legal. Up to that point, Christianity, they were being thrown to the lions. They were being eaten up. They were being executed. They were being crucified. They were being crucified on upside-down crosses there. But now Constantine did more than just legalize it. He made it the official religion of the Roman Empire. Now, some claim that Constantine Christianized paganism, but what he actually did was paganize Christianity, if you really look at it there. He named himself the Bishop of Rome, which would make him one of the popes there. Now, in 321 AD, he issued the following edict, and I want to read it to you. On the venerable day of the sun, S-U-N, let the magistrates and the people residing in cities rest and let all workshops be closed. Now, I want to, to say there that's closed and not close because I was, I was reading it, dictating it, and I have this Texas draw, which I have only lived in Texas two years of my uh, 56 years, and so I live so close to Texas Uh, that even Dragon Dictate gets it wrong every now and then there. But the idea of not working on Sunday became the official position of the Roman Christians and thus became the dogma of the Roman Catholic Catechism there. By the way, please understand that whenever I point out the difference between evangelical Christianity and Roman Catholicism or any other religion, I'm not condemning that religion, all right? Now, I am, I know that there are some individual Catholic Christians. I've met some of them uh, in my lifetime. I know that there are some that, uh, that are born again, that are going to go to heaven, but it's important for you to understand the differences between what we believe and what the official position of the Roman Catholic Church is, all right? Here, so so don't don't get up and walk out and get mad or blow a gasket because I'm talking about the Catholic Church here. So, but I, I do want to point out the differences between the two. All right, you following me? All right, shake your head, say Amen, stand up, do calisthenics. Let me know you're alive out there. All right, all right, okay. So Sunday was the Christian Sabbath to Christians for about twelve centuries. Then some Roman Catholics in Europe wanted to reform the church, and that's why it was called the Reformation. So they wanted to reform the church, and they protested some of the Roman Catholic beliefs, and so they were then called, do you know where we get the word Protestants from? They protested from the Catholic church, and that's where Protestant, the word Protestants, that's why we're 
grouped in with Protestants, and I can tell you that as growing up as an independent Baptist, I can remember my pastor spending a series talking about how Baptists are not Protestants. And I could go down that path, but I don't want to confuse you this morning because I'm still confused as a 12-year-old boy at that point in time. But let me just tell you that they had five, five new beliefs when they began to... Now, I know that you remember that when Luther named up there his thesis, he had 500 points, okay? But there were 500, five new beliefs called the five solas, S-O-L-A-S, sola scriptura, which means scripture alone. Number two, sola fida, which means faith alone. Sola gratia, grace alone. Sola Christos, Christ alone. Sola Deo Gloria, to God alone be glory. Those five new beliefs called the five solas there, these were these those were awesome positions. But they don't go far enough. In other words, they didn't correct the Catholic practice of infant baptism, and they didn't correct the idea of the Sunday Sabbath. Those five things, Scripture alone, faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone, to God alone be glory. Those are five great things, but there were other things that they were still the Catholic Church and others were believing that were still wrong there. So when the Church of England came together at Westminster in the year 1643, any of you around at that time? In 1643, they came together, the Church of England, to state their beliefs there, and they restated that Sunday was the Christian Sabbath. Now, the Westminster Confession states that God has particularly appointed one day in seven for a Sabbath to keep it holy unto him which from the beginning of the world to the resurrection of Christ was the last day of the week. Now, what is the last day of the week? Saturday, okay? I'm not going to argue that. And from the resurrection of Christ was changed into the first day of the week, which is Sunday, which in Scripture is called the Lord's Day. And Sunday is to be continued to the end of the world as the Christian Sabbath. Now, that was, that was in 1643. Now, the Church of Scotland embraced this confession, and they are the forerunner of what is now our modern Presbyterian church. 1643, modern Presbyterian church. This was also the position held by the Puritans who settled in New England here in the, in the, the U.S. The Puritans were called blue noses. Do you know why they were called blue noses? Now, if you didn't, if you weren't raised in a state uh, that I'm fixing to talk about, uh, they were called blue noses because of their strict rules. When I went off to college in Arlington, Texas, I discovered something in the grocery stores on Sundays. Do you know what they were called? The blue laws. Do you know that the blue noses, the Puritans, had strict rules? So for a much of America, for a long time, we had the blue laws that required businesses to be closed on Sunday, and then the blue laws were expanded so that they could be open on Sundays but couldn't sell certain things. 
on Sundays as well. So, who said Sunday is the new Sabbath? Constantine did. The Roman Catholic Church did. The Church of England did. The Puritans did. But the Bible never has said it. Never has. Now, what about the early church? They usually met on the first day of the week, the day of the discovery of the empty tomb there. But they didn't meet at 10.45 a.m. on Sunday morning. Sunday was a work day. They had Sunday night church. And before those of you who want to have church on Sunday nights, get, up, get on your high horse. Let me just say to you, you're not going to like what I say next. Okay? But it, I can't tell you how many times somebody trying to prove that we need to have church on Sunday night brings me their Bible and opens it up or says, Preacher, I want you to look at Acts chapter 20 and verse 7. Folks, let me just tell you, I have looked at Acts 20 and verse 7 and this is what I discover it says. And you're not going to like it, all right? But I'm going to just tell you what I believe it says. It says, on the first day of the week, you turn to it. There it is. We assembled to break bread. Paul spoke to them, and since he was about to depart the next day, he kept talking until midnight. That is your reasoning that we have Sunday night services. Let me just tell you, Sunday was a work day in the early church. And guess what? They didn't go to church until Sunday evening. And guess what? Paul was long-winded. And he preached well until midnight. So if you want to have Sunday night services and not have Sunday morning services like they did in the early church, then let's do that. That's what Acts 20 verse 7 says. And don't get mad when the preacher preaches till midnight. Okay. I love you, all right? Now, Paul didn't preach from Sunday morning until midnight. He didn't start until after supper there. Now, I remember that when I was going to college at Arlington Baptist College, we had a coach that coached my baseball team, I, uh, and his name was Woody. And Woody taught... He taught a class or two. He taught athletics. He taught P.E. at Arlington Baptist College. And I remember sitting on the bus, talking with Woody, going down the road where we would travel and play other colleges, baseball, that he would tell us what he believed that we needed to do and not do on Sundays. His family never turned the television on on Sundays. His family did never, never work. They went to church. They drove to church. And I... I asked one day, I said, is that against the law to drive to church? And he said, well, John, they didn't have cars in Jesus' day. And I said, yeah, but they had, they had carts and, and all of that. And they said not to feed, even feed your animals. I said, have you ever stopped and got gas on a Sunday in your car? I said, you were feeding it, weren't you? And he said, you just like to argue, don't you, John? Sure, you know. Now, to be honest, I was really searching for answers in my own life and looking about how maybe I needed to do something different than what I'd been taught or what I understood what the Word of, uh, Word of God said. But let me just tell you, I'm going to say Sunday is the Lord's Day. And it's the primary day that we gather to worship. But it's not the Christian Sabbath. Number three, by resting in the finished work of Christ... For salvation, we fulfill God's Sabbath. So are we to keep the Sabbath 
Absolutely. The Sabbath is mentioned in the New Testament in two ways. First, as in our passage today, it refers to the seventh day when the Jews observed it. Second, in the book of Hebrews, which we just finished last year, that God adds a deeper layer of truth to the Sabbath. And you may be surprised to learn what it really is, but the Bible says in verses 9 and 10 of Hebrews 4, Therefore a Sabbath rest remains for God's people. For the person who has entered his rest has rested from his own works, just as God did from his. So if Shabbat, the Hebrew word for Sabbath, means rest, what would be the opposite of a Shabbat? Work, right? So you rest, you work. There are millions of people who are still working to earn their salvation. You may be one of them. We don't teach that around here. You don't find it in the Word of God. There, they go to church, they read the Bible, they pray, they help people, they do good deeds, all in the hope that one day God will look at them and declare them good enough to enter into the gates of heaven. Now, they haven't entered the Sabbath rest. The Bible says in Ephesians 2.8, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, not through works, not by works, so that no one can boast. Can, I'm just telling you, there are some of us in this room that if we had to work to get into heaven, we would brag about it. Amen? Look what I'm doing. Look what, oh, and you know what? You still try to do it. Some of you act like you're doing it now. You got that look on your face like, oh, preacher, I'm, it's all I can take to get here on Sundays and, and worship God. And, and then when Nathan leads us in a song that you don't know, you just refuse to sing it anyway. And remember, he, he led us in the song that it's not about the song in itself that God is required. It's all about your heart. And so, enough preaching. Nathan did that during music. This is my time, all right? Now, you're not saved performing good deeds. You can only rest in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Now, there's two ways to spell salvation. The first way, some spell it D-O, do. They think that they can get into heaven by doing good things. The other way to spell salvation is D-O-N-E, done. It's done. When Jesus died on the cross, do you know what he said? Well, in about 3,000 years from now, we're going to have to do something different. You know what he said as he's laying there dying? What did he say his last words? It is finished. It is finished. He's done everything necessary for you to be saved. The work, will you rest on his work on the cross? So what day is the Sabbath day? It's Sunday, it's Monday, it's Tuesday, it's Wednesday, it's Thursday, it's Friday, it's Saturday. You know why? Because every day we rest in the work that Jesus did on the cross. It's not about, it's not about us, it's about him. So at this point, you may be thinking, okay, I've learned some truth today. So what, preacher? Well, the truth about the Sabbath will set you free from legalism, which is always a good thing. But in spite of everything I've said, there is something for all of us to do this morning. Even though I said it's not about being doing, it's about it's being done. Number four, we should practice God's health rhythm of work and rest. 
work and rest. The Sabbath is not a law that we have to obey, but the idea of a healthy rhythm of work and rest is a gift from God that we should not refuse. Now, the fourth commandment has two simple parts. God says, six days, you're going to work. On the seventh day, you should rest. Now, I'm going to say work is good. Amen? In fact, I can't tell you how many times I've had parents come to me and say, Preacher, is there any way that you can talk to my kid? My kids just don't understand the work ethic that they, they need to develop in their lives. And so let me just say, kiddos, as you're here today, young people here, children over here, wherever you are, and let me just say something about having children in church today. I want you to know that this is a children's zone, our worship services. I'm telling you, we want children in our worship services. Amen? Amen. Now, if you said amen and you don't, you need to confess to God that you're a liar right now, all right? Because I'm going to say to you something about children. He says, let the children come. And when Jesus said that, he was saying it to his disciples. His disciples were the ones keeping the kids away from Jesus because the parents were bringing them to Jesus. And the parents were bringing them so much that they just kept coming and the disciples kept sending them away, saying, get out of here. And Jesus said, no, let the children come. And, he, and when you look at that word, that, that verse, one of these days we're going to break it down, but when you break it down, you're going to see that Jesus said, just let them keep coming and coming and coming and coming and coming. And so when we have a baby in our, in our church here instead of in the nursery and that baby starts crying, this is all free. This is not even in the notes, all right? Let me just say this. When that baby starts crying, if I can preach over a crying baby, you ought to be able to listen over a crying baby, all right? And we're going to say to those parents, you just let that baby cry. Now, I want you to know if that baby needs to eat and mama, you're the only one that can do it, go take care of it, all right? That, that's okay. We understand you getting up and having to take your kids. Remember, my favorite joke is about the kid that's acting up in church, and the dad picks that kid up and throws him over his shoulders, and the little boy, as the, as the daddy's taking him out of church, the little boy says, please pray for me. Now, I just want you to know, there are times, parents, that you need to take them out and do whatever needs to be done, all right, with that. But this is a children's zone. This the the worship center is a children's zone. Church is a children's zone around it. And I guess where that has to start is right here in the pulpit. And so I'm going to tell you, I, bring your kids. Bring them. If you don't want to take them to children's church, that's okay. Now, we have children's church for the younger age kids. But you older age kids over here, I'm glad you're sitting there and you're behaving yourself. I think Mia's making more problems than you are. All right? Okay. I love you, Miss Mia. All right, okay. But let me just tell you, work is good. The New Testament says that if a man won't work, that's how I got off on kids. He shouldn't eat. So I tell kids all the time, you better learn to work. Because I, I don't know how many times kids will say, oh, I don't need to work. My, I, I, got, I got my games at the house and video games and my parents put food on the table. Parents quit feeding them then, and just tell them, hey, you know what? You're going to have to learn to go out and get you a job. I, I don't do that mostly for middle school and even high school kids because I know you got to finish school. But in college, I can't tell you how many times I've had college kids graduate with a degree and come back and move back in, which just it ruins the empty nest syndrome at that point, that the parents are enjoying 
just by all leaps and bounds, and then you come back and then you won't go get a job? Well, let me just tell you, the Bible says that if you don't work, you shouldn't eat. That's what the Word says. Now, we, we should build into our lives this rhythm of working, and i got to close and resting. Vance Van Gogh has a, was a committed Christian. He felt called to be a preacher. Van Gogh even attended theological school, and he even served as a missionary for three years among the poor miners in Belgium. But the Dutch Reformed Church rejected him as a pastor, and he struggled with his faith faith for the rest of his life. He abandoned the church, but he didn't abandon God. He got mad at the church, but he didn't get mad at God. So he turned to painting. And towards the end of his life, he suffered from epilepsy, for, for, and with long periods of time, he couldn't even hold a brush after he had a seizure. And so he was forced to rest. And during this time, he was able to paint a picture called Noon Rest. And here is a husband and a wife who are resting under a haystack out in a field. And guess what? It looks like to me they're resting, don't you? Taking a nap. They're out in the field there. Now, a husband and wife being working hard to harvest the hay, but I think Van Gogh captured the message. The message I get from this painting is the point that I'm trying to make. Work is good, but so is rest. It takes both to be healthy. And when God created the world, He wasn't giving us a law to obey. He was offering us a healthy pattern to follow. The Bible says on the seventh day in Genesis 2, verses 2 and 3, that God completed His work that He had done, and He rested on the seventh day from all of His work that He had done, and God blessed the seventh day, and He declared holy for it. On it, He rested from all of His work of creation. So God created the heavens and the earth. Do you think He was tired? It took Him six days. Do you think He really needed to take six days to create the world and everything in it? He could have done it in six nanoseconds if he wanted to. The reason he rested was to teach us by example that we all must set aside time for rest and for worship to redirect our spirit. You have to teach your children using object lessons and repetition. And so God showed us every week you work six, you rest one. You work six, you rest one. And what God intended is something to help us live better lives the Jews turned it into a bunch of tedious rules and regulations. So if you work your fingers to the bone and never stop to rest and relax, you're going to miss God's best. As I close, once there were some Americans went on an African safari and they were forging into the jungle and they used natives to carry their burdens. They pressed on for 10 straight days through the jungles and never stopping to rest. And after this hectic pace of 10 days, they awoke one morning to find that the natives refused to carry their bundles that day. And the natives said, we rest today. We must allow our souls to catch up with our bodies. The value of a day's rest, let our souls catch up with our bodies. There are two major Christian companies in America. Chick-fil-A, Hobby Lobby. Guess what? 
You can go to Amarillo this afternoon, and neither one of those two places will be open today. They have lost, they have lost millions of dollars of sales by not being open on Sunday. But those owners, and I can give you their names, Chick-fil-A is founded by Truett Cathy, and Hobby Lobby was founded by David Green. Those two owners believe that even though they're losing money, that it was worth it to them and to their employees to give their employees an actual day of rest. So the question is, not how he did it or how long it took God to make it and do it, but